Well, good morning, everybody. So glad to have y'all back uh, studying the Bible with us on Sunday morning again at Stapleton Baptist Church. Um, I trust you enjoyed the music that Mark and his family put together for us. So if you hadn't gotten a chance to watch that, do go pull that up on either the, the Facebook or the website. Uh, that, that'll be a blessing to you. Thank you so much to Mark and to the Bowers family for continuing to do that as we're stuck doing church like this for um, a little bit more time, hopefully not all that much longer. So uh, we're going to continue right on with our study through Revelation this morning. We're going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 18, verses 21 through 24. You can see that right there on your screen. So let me give you an opportunity to uh, uh, get your Bible out right now, and you can go ahead and flip to those pages as I pray, uh, and you can pray with me as well, and then we'll dive right in. So Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to study the Bible together as a church. Lord, pray that you get us back gathering together again as soon as possible. Lord, we love you. I pray that you bless the men, women, uh, young men, young women, little boys and little girls that listen to this sermon and listen to this music this morning as we uh, do our best to, to not forsake gathering together as best we can right now um, out of love for our neighbor trying to protect them. So, uh, Lord, we entrust this time to you and ask that you bless us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, go ahead and get your copy of, the, of God's Word out, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. You've got it right here on your screen for you uh, again. So we're going to read Revelation chapter 18, verses 21 through 24. Uh, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Uh, so as we're reading this, uh, you might say, Josh, where in the world are you getting distraction from? Hopefully you'll be able to see it here uh, in just a little bit. So I want to go ahead dive in and, and look first at asking the important question, what is it that distracts us? Um, what, what does this? Again, let's think about the, the context of the passage that we're reading today. We're talking about the overthrowing of Babylon in chapter 18 of Revelation. Now, what is Babylon? Again, remember that Babylon, uh, it may in that time period end up meaning a city that's literally named Babylon. It might end up being another city that carries on the spirit and philosophy of Babylon that we've talked about before, that uh, Babylon uh, originates back in the book of Genesis where you've got God telling humanity that his desire is that we would spread out and that we would fill the earth uh, with his image. We're image bearers of God. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the earth and subdue it. It's the first mission that God gives humanity, that as we multiply and we fill the earth, we fill the earth with his image uh, and therefore glorify him in doing so. So that's God's mission for us. But in Babel, uh, at the very beginning of the, the, the Babel experiment in Genesis chapter 11, you see people, they're, they're traveling east and they come to a plain on Shinar, and they say, let's set up here, lest we be scattered about, and we'll build a great city and a great tower and make a name for ourselves, and, and we'll make ourselves great. In other words, we'll glorify ourselves rather than glorifying God, rather than filling the earth. We'll congregate on this plain. It's basically the antithesis of everything that God's asked humanity to do. So you see that uh, in Babel to begin with. And the Babylon that you see in the book of Revelation is not literally that, city Babel, 
but throughout the generations of humanity, the, the, the Babylonian ideal has carried on, that rather than fill the earth and subdue it to God's glory, we tend to congregate and build our own kingdom and build up our own glory. And this final Babylon is the ultimate expression of that rebellion against God. So finally in, in Revelation 18, uh, the Babylon of the book of Revelation, which has also become the Antichrist's kind of home base, the seat of his power, um, an angel is proclaiming the overthrow of this city. So uh, <clears throat> when we look at why this city is being overthrown, uh, I want us to look at verse 21 and then importantly down in the second half of verse 23. You can see where I've got it highlighted for you. Um, in verse 21, when the angel takes up a stone, it says he takes up a stone like a great millstone, and the angel threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. So we're looking at utterly absolute destruction. So he says it's going to be thrown down and, and it's not even going to be found anymore. That Babylon tends to keep cropping up over and over and over again uh, throughout Scripture, but the angel says no more. After this, when Babylon falls this time, it, it, it really has fallen. Uh, and then finally, too, in, in the second half of verse 23, why, does, why is it falling? What's happening? For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. So there's something of a cover-up happening right here, or, or at least an attempted cover-up. There's influence, there's a cover-up that uses this influence and in her, what are we covering up? In her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So this city Babylon is a murderer. That Babylon has been violent, not just this current iteration of Babylon, but Babylon all the way back in Genesis 11. Ever since this first rebellion, this Babylonian ideal um, has uh, pushed against all of God's directives. It's, it's violent and it will do whatever it takes to accomplish its goals. So this angel says that, no, your, your merchants, they were the great men of the earth. They were the influential men of the earth, that they were kind of running the things, that the stewardship of the earth had kind of been put on them. And they're violent, they're murderers, they're destructive, they're disobedient to God, they're rebellious, and they've done this over and over and over and over and over again. And no more is this going to go on. Babylon has slain prophets, they've slain saints, and they've slain countless other millions throughout the history of the earth. And so it's time for the bill to come due. So uh, that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of what are we being distracted from. We're just being distracted from the violence, uh, the evil, the wickedness of the world at large, the, 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 the great men of the earth, the, the, the world itself. When we say great men, don't start trying to identify these individual great men. It's never been about one individual person as far as the rebellion of humanity. It's, it's this almost undertow of rebellion um, that sin in our hearts causes, that every great man of the earth that's ever bought into, the, bought into this Babylonian rebellion is merely being carried along by his flesh. Yes, he's being abused and goaded along by Satan, but he's not doing anything other than he, his humanity prompts him to do. Uh, so we're being distracted from that violence and that wickedness of the world at large and pretending that this world is just a wonderful, great place, that everything in it's hunky-dory, that everything's fine. And we all know in the morning that the world is not fine, that it's not hunky-dory, that it's not good, that everything is not as it should be. 
But in order to keep ourselves from losing our minds, sometimes we just pretend that everything's better than it actually is. We don't talk about it. We, we seek diversions. We seek entertainment. We bury ourselves in our work. We just immerse ourselves in kind of the rhythms of life and not notice that this place is just absolutely ransacked by sin and wickedness. So we're going to look at that uh, today and see ways that we can distract ourselves in the ways that Babylon distracted itself for it was destroyed. And the first way that Babylon distracted itself was by entertainment. Don't be distracted by entertainment. Uh, look at verse 22a. Though when I say 22a, all I mean is the first half of verse 22. You're not ever going to look in your Bible and see Revelation chapter 18, verse 22a. You're just going to see 1822. So when you see 22a, that's just me saying, hey, I've split the verse into a couple of different parts, and I only want to look at part of it right now. Uh, so Revelation chapter 18, verse 22a uh, the angel says, The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters uh, shall not be heard in you anymore. So let's talk about these musicians for just a second. These musicians, these harpists, these flutists, these trumpeters, uh, they're entertainers. What is an entertainer? What, what is entertainment? Well, uh, mu these musicians are entertainers, but not all music is entertainment. So we've got to draw a distinction between the two here and tell you why this distinction is important. So let's talk about music for a second. All music is art, okay? And like any other form of art, determining whether or not it's good or bad is complicated. So let's play a game and let's play good art or bad art. I'll ask a question and then you answer it. Now obviously I'm not going to be able to hear you uh, but you can play this game at home and try and decide which is the good art and which is the bad art. Question one, is this good art or bad art? A song that is pleasing to the ear but doesn't tell the truth. Good art, bad art. Okay, what about this? Round number two, a song that does tell the truth but is poorly written or performed. Good art, Bad art. How about this one? A song that tells the truth and is pleasing to the ears of many, just not to yours. Yes, I know it's telling the truth. Yes, I know a lot of people like it, but I don't like it. So does that make it bad art? What about a movie with a big budget and really cool special effects that are well executed, but the movie celebrates an evil character or an evil event? Good art? Bad art. What about a movie with a low budget and poor execution, but it celebrates a godly character or a good event? Good art, bad art. What about a well-done painting that depicts the world falsely? It's painted well, but it depicts the world falsely. Is that good or bad? And what about a painting done that tells the truth about the world? but it's poorly painted. Is it good or is it bad? So hopefully trying to figure these out, you've seen the two extremes that I've tried to draw, and you've got a spectrum in between all of these. But there's this delicate balance between within art right here. What's more important? Is it more important that it be done well or that the message it contains is, is true? Okay? We can get into that anytime we want to. You know, I, I don't want to get into 
you know, your movie preferences right now or your music preferences necessarily. This is not even really about preferences. This is about the nature of art itself. Notice I didn't mention any of these as entertainment that I just read. They're different forms of art, and there's a, a balance between does it tell the truth and is it done well? Does it qualify as good art if it tries to tell the truth, but it does it poorly? Or maybe it does it, 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 it executes really well, but what it executes well is not true. We can debate that all day long, but the point is art tries to convey a mess. It tries to convey some form of what it believes to be truth. And it does it through a particular medium, whether it be music, whether it be film, whether it be painting, whether it be poetry. These are all forms of art, and they're meant to imitate the real world or the world as the artist wishes it was, or it should be. But entertainment is different. Entertainment ceases to be concerned with truth, and it merely degenerates into emotion and sentimentality. Uh, so maybe entertainment speaks a truth maybe it doesn't if it does speak a truth it speaks it by accident you know it's not the intent of an entertainer to tell the truth or to tell a falsehood this type of art entertainment exists merely to evoke or provoke uh, emotion and sentiment or nostalgia or wistfulness in the audience itself so uh, an entertainer merely wants to make an audience feel good about where they are or to take their minds off of where they are and maybe transport them somewhere else. Um, you know, I asked Mark, I was talking to Mark this afternoon, and I said, Mark, I want you to tell me whether or not I'm crazy about this. Um, that art is about, or entertainment is about emotion and sentimentality, and art is about conveying truth and doing it through a medium that involves the emotions. And so he said, yeah, that's correct. I said, so to, to talk about what entertainment is, uh, let's pretend that you've got something really uh, dark going on in your life right now, and, and, and you don't really want to experience that. You don't want to think about it. You don't really want to face it right now, so you indulge in a little bit of escapism, right? Maybe you put on a movie that makes you laugh or uh, a song that makes you feel really good, or you, you, know, you go look at a, 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 read a poem or something that, that, that talks about a nicer place, that you're entertaining yourself to block out uh, that darkness that kind of beats in on you right there. It's a way of escaping. Um, so what this angel is talking about when he talks about these uh, musicians, these harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters, what's going on in Babylon right now? What's going on in Babylon right now? Murder, right? The, 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 the great men, the merchants, they're, they're effectively being sorcerers and deceiving the nations. Don't look. Nothing to see here. Pay, attention, pay no attention to the murder behind the curtain. Ignore the fact that we have been destroying God's people for thousands of years. Ignore the fact that we have been battling against God's edict for humanity since basically he gave it to us. Don't look at that. Instead, listen to this really fun song. Watch this really cool movie. Read this really intriguing book. Check out this new poet, this, this new artist. This, just entertain yourself. Spend 30 minutes on, on Twitter getting angry at other people. Spend an hour on Instagram. Spend two hours Snapchatting with people. Spend all this time watching this or listening to that or playing with this. Entertain yourself. Don't pay attention to what's actually going on in the world. 
Entertain, entertain, entertain. Watch, watch more sports. Play more sports. Get involved in more organizations. Always do more. Always make sure that we're busy because if we're not busy, when we have to sit in the silence with ourselves, we actually have to take stock of, of who we are, what's going on in our hearts, and what's going on in our minds. And we can't handle the silence because then we have to grapple with the real world. Have you ever thought of entertainment like that? It's a diversion. It's something that takes your mind off of what's really going on. And in the case of Babylon, all the citizens of Babylon entertained themselves out of paying attention to what was actually going on in the wickedness in which they were living. Maybe these citizens of Babylon identified with the words of a song because the musician understood how they felt. Maybe they saw themselves or, or their ideals or their dreamt of world in the movies and wished they could be there instead of where they were. Maybe they see painters draw a world that they wish they lived in. Maybe they listen to politicians telling them about the utopia was right, that's right around the corner in order to distract them from the dirty reality of the moment. Maybe they knew that the violence of their city existed and they wanted to forget it, so they buried themselves in entertainment. See, entertainment's dangerous. You can get too much of it. And, and, and just divorce yourself and pull yourself back from the real world and say, I don't want to deal with that today. I don't want to deal with God today. I don't want to deal with my sin today. I don't want to deal with Jesus today. I don't want to deal with righteousness and judgment to come today. Instead, I would really rather just watch, you know, a, a movie. Can we do that? Can we do something fun? Let's not deal with anything serious. That's just going to upset me. Listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 11, he said, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom retained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. What? This enjoyment in the moment. This rejoicing in, oh look, listen to this singer. Isn't he great? Isn't she great? Uh, look at these fruit trees. Aren't they tasty? Look at these gazing pools. Aren't they beautiful? Have you ever seen anything like this? This is great. Aren't you entertained? Doesn't this entertain you? Can't you just stare at the glory of my house and my home that I've built and all the wealth I've acquired? And you can just giggle and laugh and have a great time, but then at the end of the day, you lay your head down on your pillow and what? Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. That Solomon looks out at all of his entertainment and he says, do you know what? At the end of the day, none of this entertainment has really changed anything about the world. It's, it's vanity. It's grabbing the wind. Have you ever done that? You just grab the air. There's nothing there. It's, it's, it's senseless. It's useless. And I'm not telling you to, you know, never watch, a, never watch a, a sports match. I'm not telling you to never watch a football game, never go see a movie with your kids. I'm not telling you uh, to never listen to music just for the sake of enjoying the way it sounds. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to encourage you all to become, you know, puritanical and avoiding all things that are just fun. 
Um, there, there is such a thing as good, clean fun, which we as Christians should pursue. We should enjoy uh, merriment and having and having a good time with each other. But at the same time, you can turn entertainment into something that allows you to ignore the wickedness in the world and ignore the wickedness in yourself. And that entertainment that you block out the world and yourself with is actually vanity. It's it's nothingness. It doesn't do anything. Um, you know, there's a saying in the world, you know, they drowned all their troubles in the bottom of a bottle, but guess what? When you sober up, they're all still there. Uh, you haven't done anything to make anything go away. You've just ignored them for a short period of time. And James tells us wisely, James 4, verses 7 through 9, he says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. In other words, don't entertain yourself out of paying attention to the actual state of things. These citizens of Babylon, they entertained themselves out of seeing what was going on around them. Christians, you can do this too. You can entertain yourself, just listen to music that makes you feel good, watch movies that make you feel good, play sports that make you feel good, and not pay attention to the fact that your, your walk with the Lord is not where it needs to be, that you haven't sat down and actually prayed in a long time. You can't remember the last time you read your Bible, but man, you were on Facebook five minutes ago. Uh, that you, Your family's involved in every activity that it could possibly be involved in but church is actually actually an extracurricular for you. Um, that that you can give all of your money to uh, to movies, to Netflix subscriptions, to Hulu subscriptions. You can you can rent movies. You can you can buy tickets. You can do everything. You can eat out all the time. But you can't remember the last time uh, you used money to help somebody who needed it. Um, you can't think of the last time that you actually drowned everything else out and said, you know what, Jesus, today is for you. Entertain yourself to death. Don't be distracted by entertainment. Second, uh, don't be distracted by work. Don't be distracted by work. Now, this is an interesting one because we often think of work as what we're distracted from. Uh, work is what we're distracted from. You know, when you talk about somebody who's lazy, uh, you would think of them as being somebody who would rather be sitting, um, you know, at a at a movie theater or at a restaurant, they don't want to go to work. Um, but sometimes work itself uh, can actually be the distraction. Uh, so let's look at this. Revelation 18, 22b, again, this is just another part of verse 22. The angel says, No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. So uh, on top of these entertainers, uh, one, part of the ways that these great men, these merchants have deceived the nations, deceived the citizens of Babylon has been through their work, their craftsmanship, their, their, uh, their, their work, the, the grinding of the millstone, actually being economically productive, that that also distracted people from what's actually going on around them. Uh, Josh, are you telling me not to work? Absolutely not. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10, God said it's good to work. Think of the ten, This is part of the Ten Commandments now, so pay attention. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. See, this drives me nuts, that when people talk about the Sabbath day and keeping it holy, when they talk about this commandment, all they ever talk about is, is the seventh day. They talk about the seventh day and say that, well, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. There's all kinds of ways to misinterpret the Sabbath. For one thing, Sunday is not the Sabbath. It has never been the Sabbath. It will never be the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath is Saturday. Sunday is the Lord's Day. There's two separate days. So the Sabbath is Saturday. Um, and the reason people say, they, they think of this commandment in the Ten Commandments, they say, you remember the Sabbath day, you're supposed to keep it holy. But that's only half of the command. The other half of the command is this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So half of the command is to rest on the Sabbath. The other half of the command is actually work the rest of the week. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. So uh, work is not an evil thing. Please don't hear me. It's kind of like we were talking about entertainment. I'm not telling you not to do fun things for the sake of having fun with your family and kids. I'm certainly not telling you not to work. But what I am telling you is don't take work and make work an idol. Remember that God wasn't destroying Babylon because of its workers. God was destroying Babylon for its wickedness, and its workers had overlooked that wickedness wickedness. So how do we apply this? Well, for one, your job is not going to provide you any material benefit at the end of your life. I said it last week, I'll say it again. You've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse, and you never will unless somebody is telling a joke. So trading work and its profits in this life for judgment in the world to come is a pretty poor decision. So pay attention to what's going on around you and don't ignore the wickedness of this world or of your own heart by putting your shoulder to the plow and not looking up. So let's go back to our teacher in Ecclesiastes again and look at chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. The, the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, There's a severe evil which I've seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there's nothing in his hand. Now, let's stop and talk about that for a second. Any of you who have kids, you know that when you go to the hospital and your child is born, when the child appears, that child's got nothing, literally nothing. So think about that. Every way that you've seen the child come into the world, that's the exact way that you came into the world. You came into it with absolutely nothing, fighting for the breath that was in your lungs. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. So ask yourself this question. If you slave away at work all day, every day, what is that going to do for you at the end of your life? Nothing. Nothing at all, because when you die, man, you are taking none of it with you. You're going to leave it for somebody else if you leave anything. And then do you know what? Whatever of yours they get, they can invest it and they can grow it to the biggest nest egg you've ever seen. And you know what's going to happen when they die? They're not going to take it with them either. That you burying your life in your work to build your bank account, to build your kingdom, to, to, to build your profit margin, at the end of your life, it's actually not going to do anything. And that's what's happening with these workers in Babylon is they're, they're, they're working, they're laboring, they're trying their best, they're, they're, and they're just pushing everything else out. They have become oblivious workaholics. And, and that maybe they didn't see themselves as workaholics. Maybe they're not workaholics the way we would define it. But you're just, all you're concerned about is your job. You're not concerned about other little things that might get in your way. You're not concerned about the spiritual maturity and depth of your family. You're not concerned about the, uh, 
the, the biblical uh, chops, if you will, of your kids. You know, so what if they don't know the, the books in the Bible? That, that's what the table of, the contents, is, table of contents is for. Uh, so what if they can't explain salvation to me? I know they filled out a card when they were little. I know that they know the Lord. Um, you, you know, never mind. Well, well, have you prayed with them? No, that's what their Sunday school teacher's for. I'm not worried about that. I have more important things to concern my will. That, you, know, you know, I don't help the teachers at school or to teach my kids how to do reading, writing, and arithmetic. They're Sunday school teachers and they're pastors at church. It's their job to teach them how to know the Lord Jesus. My job is to go to work. No, it's not. Your job is to lead in to teach your family. Your job is to instill spiritual maturity in them. It's not someone else's. It's yours. God entrusted your family to you. God entrusted your life to you. It's not for someone else to do. And when you bury yourself in your work like that, and you push these responsibilities and these thoughts out of the way, you're actually sinning by doing that. So these citizens of Babylon worked to shut out everything else, and that's how they were deceived. They were so concerned with their work. Look at what uh, Jesus has to say in Matthew 16, verses 19 through 21. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That Jesus says, guys, this world's going to pass away. Don't sink yourself into this world. Don't pour yourself into your work at the expense of paying attention to the life to come. Guys, Jesus came and died for you. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that you would be saved. Now listen, when you come to Jesus, when you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, God forgives you right then, but your life right here is not going to be instantly easy. He may not get you a job if you're unemployed right now. You may not get out of financial dire straits. You may not be cured of whatever disease it is that ails you just because you gave your life to Christ. But I promise you, 10,000 years from now, whatever those worries you have right now are, they will be far behind you if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you, if you reject Jesus Christ right now so that you can be concerned about your work in this world right now, it doesn't matter if you amass every single dollar bill that is on this planet and they are all in your bank account. 10,000 years from now, you would trade every single one of them for five minutes of life to be able to have the opportunity to act to tell Jesus you want him more than all of it. That your work that you build up cannot save you and it has no value in the world beyond this one. Anything that you earn from this work right here has no value in the world beyond this one. So you would actually be a fool to devote all your time and energy to that instead of things that have value in the world to come. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. See, James is talking directly to people who are sucked into their work. You say, oh, today I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do that. I'm going to 
go execute this contract. I'm going to go make this sale. I'm going to go do this job and I'm going to get paid. And then my next plan's this and I'm going to expand and I'm going to grow and, and it's going to be great and it's going to be wonderful and we're going to make all this money and we're going to live in this great house and we're going to have you know the, the national average 2.5 children and they're going to be uh, valedictorians somehow even though they're both in the same class. They're both going to be valedictorians and it's going to be fantastic. And the reality is you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. But you can get so sucked into your work that you can arrogantly say, you know what, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Well, what about, what about the spiritual maturity and the responsibility you have toward spiritually maturing your family? You know, what about leading your wife lovingly the way Christ loves the church? What about teaching your kids how to know Jesus? What about actually spending time uh, working with your church family to see God's glory grow? In the, king, in, in the community that you're in? Uh, what about admitting that maybe there is a world beyond this one and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? You say, oh, no, that's, that's, that's for later. That's not for right now. I got more important things I got to do. No, 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 no. To him who knows to do good, how to do good and he doesn't do it, to him it's sin. If you know that there's something that you ought to be doing now and you're not doing it because you would just rather do your job, no, listen. What God has given you as your responsibility is to do the good that you know to do. That starts with giving your life to Christ and it follows that you obey Him and everything after that. And sometimes that means your career takes a backseat. So don't work yourself into distraction from obeying God. It costs the citizens of Babylon their lives. Finally, let's look at not being distracted by social conventions. Now admittedly, this one's a little bit more abstract. Uh, so let's let's look at the next verse. 1823a, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. So a couple of observations about this. Uh, there's not really a more foundational part of society than marriage and the formation of new families. It's it's kind of hopeful. You know, my mom told me one time, you know, when you see a couple get married and you see, uh, you know, those kids or those the married couple have kids and then you see the parents you know, with the grandkids, like, oh, that's just affirmation that life goes on. Uh, that that eventually, you know, you're, you're, the sun's going to set on your time, to quote Mufasa, one day the sun will set on my kingdom, Simba, and it will rise with you as its new king. Um, you know, that time goes on, uh, and it, it, that was from The Lion King, for those of you who have never seen it. It doesn't matter which Lion King, old one, new one, you should watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, but the idea that, that the, the circle keeps, keeps right on turning, that you know the sun's going to go down, the sun's going to come up, one day I'm going to be gone, but my children are going to be here after me, and one day they're going to be gone, but their children are going to be there after them, and then they're going to get married, and they're going it, to... It's just disaffirming. It's foundational to our society, uh, marriage and the rearing of new families is. Look at Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. The Israel had been taken into captivity in Babylon, and they're fretting about what's going to come next. And listen to God's advice to them to encourage them. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. This didn't happen out of God's control. He knew it. He says, Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens, eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give daughters to husbands. So that, and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Now it's ironic that the city they were carried away to is Babylon. This is a literal historical Babylon, 
Not that the future city is not going to be literal, but this is a Babylon of the past, a literally named, a city literally named Babylon, which is no more. Um, the Israel, the the excuse me, Judah was taken away captive there, and God says, "Hey, guys, you're going to be there a while, and so that you will increase and not diminish, that you will have stability and joy and peace there." What did God tell them to do? Get married. Let your children get married. You know, that's kind of letting you know life goes on. I'm not intending you to be here forever. That one day you're going to come out of Babylon and you're going to go back into the land that I gave you. And I don't want you to be smaller when you leave than you did when you got here. So go ahead. Marry. Give in marriage. Have kids. Plant gardens. Build houses. You know, seek the peace of the city that you're dwelling in. That that marriage is, is an it's an encouragement when you see it because it lets you know that civilization is persisting, um, which is a good sign in 2020. Um, but, you know, marriage is celebrated. It's a symbol of life moving on. Uh, we also talk about marriage in, in the context of settling down. Typically, we mean that, you know, one's exploration of the world has kind of ended and now you've gotten married and you want to build a home and a new life for you and your family and you've turned your eyes to the future you want to pass on what you've got and what you know down to the next generation. But the angel says this is all ending for citizens of Babylon. There's not going to be any future. Life is not going to go on. That There's going to be no more lamps or lights. There's going to be no more sounds of bridegrooms calling for, his, calling for their brides in the streets during the wedding. That it's, it's all going away. That there is no future for Babylon anymore. That marriage you know, for them has ended because there's not going to be anybody left to get married. Listen to how Jesus talks about the day of judgment in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 39. He says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So what Jesus is saying is marriage is kind of this foundational part of, of the culture, of the society. So uh, when you see it happening, this is it's always an event, but it's also normal. That when you see it, it's just kind of things carrying on. And he's saying, you know, you think back to the days of Noah, y'all. I'm telling you that there's a day of judgment coming. Well, Noah saw a day of judgment too. But right up until he got in the ark and God shut the door, there were people outside just going about daily life, going about their, their normal everyday business, that the normality of marriage and giving in marriage was going on. And oh, you know, I'm sure there was a couple back in the ancient world before the rain fell that they had their wedding date scheduled for five days after the door on the ark was shut. They didn't see it coming. Josh, what's the point of this? Why are you bringing all this up? First off, I'm not teaching against marriage. I'm not saying don't get married. I'm not even talking about marriage specifically. The point that I'm trying to make is the folks in Babylon just assumed that life was going to go on forever exactly the way it was going on right then. And it's almost just like if you ever have a little inkling in the back of your head, man, life can't just go on forever. There's too much injustice. There's too much wrong. 
something's not right about this. But then you just dive in and you say, you know what? It's been this way for forever. We've always done this. There's always been, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to marry my kids where me and my wife got married, where my parents got married, and, and then we're, we're going to have grandkids. We're, we're going to do things the same way for forever, that God hasn't destroyed us yet. God's not going to destroy us tomorrow. Sun goes down, sun comes up, that society is what society is. And it has been and it will be forever and ever and ever. And I'm just going to dive in that and find comfort in the familiar. And scripture warns you, don't take comfort in the familiar just because it's the familiar. Society is, doesn't save you from the judgment of God. Just because it's happened that way for a long, long, long time. Don't go blindly with the conventions of the world believing that things are always going to go on exactly the way they do now. What you do with your spouse, what you do with your politics, what you do with your kids, what you do with your friends, all of these things should be subservient to Jesus and what he's called you to do. You know that this world has an expiration date? So navigate the ins and outs of society remembering that you have a higher responsibility and that whatever this world demands of you, those demands are subject to the higher calling that we have in Christ. Now, before I put this next scripture on the screen, I do want to remind you I'm not teaching against marriage. I am teaching concern for obedience and faithfulness to God over against societal responsibilities. Okay? So, let me throw this up on the screen. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35. He says, But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. In this I say for your own profit, not that I might put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Husbands, you are concerned about your wives, and you should be. Marriage is a good thing. I am married. I enjoy being married. God wanted me to be married. Okay? This, read the rest of the chapter. Singleness is not for everybody. Okay? Um, but there are some that God has called to singleness. And Paul's trying to tell you, guys, if you're married, you've got to think about this. If you're married, you've got to be concerned with pleasing your wife. Ladies, if you're married, you've got to be concerned with pleasing your husband, that you have responsibilities that you have to carry out, that you take on responsibilities when you get married. You take on responsibilities when you become a parent. But, he says, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. That the responsibilities to God for him, or to such a degree that he says, do you know what? I cannot conceivably give what I feel I need to give to God if I also have to, to share with someone else. And marriage means you share with someone else. Now, that's not the lifestyle for everybody, but the question, the kicker is, are you willing to make that decision if you have to? If God's calling you to a life of singleness so that you could serve him, would you be willing to do it? Or would you just be married just because that's what society expects you to do? Um, you know, if, if God has called you to change your jobs so that you can better serve him, is that something you'd be willing to do? 
or are you going to stick there because society expects you to get that raise? If God, if God calls you to, to embark on a journey of spiritual maturity with your kids, but society wants you to have them in one more activity, which are you going to do? You can apply this to politics. You can apply this to relationships. You can apply this to social situations. You can apply this to anything. The world is going to expect one thing of you. God may expect another. And when push comes to shove, are you willing to say, do you know what? I care more about what God wants from me than I care about what the world wants from me. Don't be distracted by social conventions and just assuming things are going to go on forever. It's all right for me to take part. No, it may not be all right for you to take part. God may be calling you to something different. More often than not, in fact, the, the inverse is probably true of 1 Corinthians 7 right now. Society expects you not to get married. Society expects you to be single and to just sow your wild oats for forever because marriage is silly. Monogamy, what a dumb, outdated idea. Where in reality, you probably, to serve God, the vast majority of us, he, he wants to get married, have kids, raise a family, grow the church the old-fashioned way. You know, that's, that, 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 that might be what God expects of you. So consider, what does society want? What does God want? And don't be so distracted by doing things just the way you've always done them that you overlook what God's trying to tell you or what God's trying to show you. Um, so uh, just some, some food for thought today, looking at Scripture, that the citizens of Babylon distracted themselves through entertainment, they distracted themselves through work, and they distracted themselves uh, through social conventions. Don't allow any of those three things to throw you off. But pay attention to what, what the Word of God says. Pay attention to the fact that Jesus has called you to repentance. He's called you to come out of Babylon and not be destroyed along with it. If you'd like to give your life to Christ, then you can pray to Him today. You can say something like, God, I need you to have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I admit that I am a sinner and that I can't do anything about it, but I believe that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for me on the cross in my place. I believe that He was buried and rose again three days later and that as He lives, you've promised me life. And I want that life, and I want Jesus as my Lord. You can pray a prayer or something like that today, and God will respond to you like that. If you do that, please read that, reach out to me through an email, through a Facebook message, through a phone call if you've got my number. Um, and I'll be glad to talk with you about the next steps of that. Um, share a couple of announcements with you, and then we'll be done today. Uh, so, announcements. If you're watching this on Facebook, please find us over at stapletonbaptist.org. That way you can join our email list. You can... You can jump on the Stapleton Baptist Book Club with us if you've been seeing that on your Facebook news feed. Um, you, can, you can keep track of everything that is important um, at stapletonbaptist.org. Everything will be there. Second, if you're watching this on our website, you need to find us on Facebook if you're a Facebook user. Facebook.com backslash stapletonbaptistga. That's the absolute best place in the world uh, for breaking news on the church, cancellations, other events like that. Uh, so... Find us on Facebook if you're a Facebook user. Finally, uh, this is I haven't gotten any updates that Miss Susan has gotten any of these folks, so still needed for vacation Bible school. We need two teacher's assistants, a craft leader, a recreation leader, two registration helpers, and some snack helpers. That's two teacher's assistants, a craft leader, a recreation leader, two registration helpers, and, a, and some snack helpers. So um, right now we are tentatively still planning on having vacation Bible school um, at its same time. 
but as we have updates, you know, you'll you'll know whether or not um, that's that's where it's going to be. But if you're a member of Stapleton Baptist Church and you're interested in serving, please reach out and let us know. Um, so that's all I've got for you today. Um, I appreciate it. Guys, we've actually got a lot of people watching these videos and listening to these sermons that don't normally come to this church, and that's super encouraging to me. Hopefully, if you're one of those folks, we'll get to see you uh, in person here shortly, that we'll get to see you walking through these doors to join the rest of us uh, here. But if you're new and you've been watching this, please uh, don't just lurk in the shadows back there. Shoot me a message and say, hey, Pastor Josh, I've you know, I'm not a member of your church, but I have been watching your messages. Um, just do that. Let, let me know that you're out there so that I can check in on you and make sure everything's okay. And if you are a member of this church and you haven't shared these things so that maybe folks who are looking for a church home would see them, do me a favor and click that little share button right there on the bottom of Facebook or email this to your friends so that we can, you know, you don't even have to invite somebody to church right now. You can literally just send church to them. Uh, so why would you not do that? Uh, so go ahead and do that. And, uh, and hopefully we'll get some new folks in here where we get to open our doors again. I love y'all. Y'all stay safe and reach out if you need help. All right. Uh, love you guys. And we'll see you Wednesday. Well, y'all get a blooper today. I hit the stop recording button and it didn't. So I'm pretty sure that was awkward. So I'm going to hit it now and then we'll be done. We'll see you guys Wednesday.